So now is the time to sit in meditation, to listen to the Dhamma. And even if you don't understand the Thai language, you can set your mind to be peaceful in samadhi. If you don't understand the language, you can still get the feeling because it's an energy of the mind. And when the mind focuses on the meditation object, for instance, as explained yesterday, the object of recollecting the Buddha, Buddha Nusati, or it could be knowing the in and out breath, or contemplating the body. These are all ways to bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to samadhi. So we have effort and perseverance like this to cultivate samadhi, to cultivate collectedness. So it's a energy to develop the mind to wisdom when we practice like this. And so this quality of the Dhamma, it's the nature that exists already, that is here already. It's a condition of reality, condition of truth that arises, stays for a while and ceases. So we see like this, we see that everything that we experience Everything that we meet with is the Dhamma, whether materiality or mentality. We call it Rupa Dhamma, the Dhamma of material things, Nama Dhamma, the Dhamma of mental phenomena. They all arise, stay for a while, and cease. But we don't see this, the mind doesn't see this, doesn't see the truth. Because the mind sees everything in terms of self and thinks that in truth it really is self. It sees things as me or mine, you or yours, uh, theirs or them. Just like we take a, a glass of water or a cup of water. Since we've been born, we haven't thought about this or haven't thought that it's anything other than that. We just think it's a glass, whatever language it is, whether it's in English we call it a glass, in Thai it's another word. In other languages, it's different words. But we think that it's really like that in truth. We think that it really is a glass. We call it that name, whatever name we've learned. But we don't know deeper than that. We don't see that it's just a convention. Because if we see clearly, we understand that in truth, it's just these natural elements. It's something that arises, stays for a while, and ceases. It's just samuti, just convention. In the same way, male and female, child and adult, that's just to do with age and sex. It's not anything more than convention. Because deeper down, it's just the four elements. And it's all the same, these same four elements. It's not a self, not a me or a mind, not a being. It's just as it is. Material form is material form. The body is the body. So we practice to see this clearly, to dispel all doubts, to see convention as convention. And in this way, liberation arises, vimuti arises. This is something that we must understand. And this is something that the great teachers, the meditation masters have taught for instance, Lumpu Tong Tao taught in a way of great wisdom. He was a teacher of 
Lumpu Tongrat, who is a teacher in turn of Lumpu Cha. And there was one occasion where Lumpu Tong Tao was walking with his disciple, and along the road there was a cow or a buffalo there. And Lumpu Tong Tao decided to teach about convention and liberation. And the buffalo that they passed was a female buffalo. And then he turned to the disciple and said, Oh, did you see that male buffalo that we passed? So he spoke in the opposite way to what they saw. But the disciple saw very clearly with his own eyes that it was a female buffalo. And he wanted to achieve victory over his great teacher because he always deferred to his teacher all the time. So he thought to himself, well, the teacher has seen incorrectly for sure. I'm definitely correct because I saw it clearly for myself. So this disciple was sure that he was correct. But no matter how much they talked about it, the great teacher, Ajahn Tong Tao, kept saying it was a male buffalo. And the disciple kept saying, no, it was a, a female buffalo. And so this went on for a period of time. And eventually the teacher said, well, who decided to say it was a male or female buffalo? Who's the one who said that? And so we see that the meaning of this is that it's just a convention. That in truth, there's no male or female. It's just a convention. And so mindfulness arose in that disciple. And he saw that his teacher, Lumpu Tong Tao, was giving him a teaching through this method. So this is one example. Venerable Ajahn Chah gave another example where he picked up a spittoon and he would uh, tell the disciples to look at that spittoon. And he'd say, well, this is, we call this a spittoon and we cling to it as a spittoon and we really think it's actually a spittoon in truth. That clinging is very firm. But Venerable Ajahn Chah would say, well, what if we gave it a new convention as we see that these, this spittoon is just the four natural elements. It's just a convention to call it a spittoon. So what if instead we called it a, a glass or a cup? So if we just take a spittoon and call it a glass, and instead of saying, give me that spittoon over there, he would say, can you give me that glass over there? And he would point to the spittoon. And the disciples listening to this would feel like it was incorrect or it would go against uh, their own thinking in their heart. It would feel like something was wrong to call a spittoon a glass because they would really think, oh, a spittoon is not a glass. So that's one example. We feel that it's wrong because we don't know the convention as convention. We don't see that it's just these elements of earth, air, fire, and water that have temporarily, temporarily gathered together and then they'll degrade and disperse. So this is the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha that's been well expounded already. Starting with generosity, the benefits of generosity, virtue, the benefits of virtue, mental cultivation, training the mind in samadhi, and the benefits of mental cultivation. The Buddha has well expounded all of this what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what should be developed, what should be abandoned. 
what is useful, what is not useful, what is auspicious, what is not auspicious. The Buddha taught all of this and taught what action should one do or what actions lead to the lower states or the woeful states of existence, what actions lead to the human state, which is the five precepts. And lower than the five precepts is the animal realm, the lower realms, the hell realms. So we do merit, we do goodness, practice, generosity, virtue and meditation, help society. That brings one to a deva birth, a heavenly birth. It's not that we wait till we die to be born as a deva. We're born as a deva right here in the present moment first. So we do merit. The mind feels joyful from generosity. For instance, giving to those in need, like those in cold weather, they might not have a heater. So we give aid to them, give assistance. We don't need to ask, are you cold? Do you need a blanket? Do you need help? But we just give. We just give like that. So that's one example. It's acting with loving kindness, with metta, to try to help beings, to try to give them happiness. And if we see them suffering, then we try to alleviate that suffering. That's compassion. That brings the mind feelings of fullness and freshness. And having happiness, then one wishes that may these beings not be separated from that happiness. And if beings have particular comma ripening or certain situations they're experiencing and one is not able to help them, then we set the mind to be equanimous with upeka. But it's not sure, as we see that all beings have uh, various kama. So even if they just have a little merit, they can still get happiness. So the Buddha taught everything in its completeness already. Taught that we shouldn't look down on other beings. We shouldn't harm any beings through body, speech, or mind. But we should have loving kindness for one another. And this development of loving kindness is a way to bring the mind to samadhi, to peace and collectedness. And when the mind has loving kindness and compassion, the five precepts are able to be cared for, or one's able to keep the five precepts. So the Buddha taught all things. He taught this path and to practice this path. And when we practice this path, the mind realizes happiness in a heavenly state right here in the present through generosity, virtue, and meditation. The mind gradually grows in joy and samadhi to the point of vipassana, or clear seeing, just like I explained yesterday. This vipassana, or clear seeing, which takes as its object the characteristics of impermanence, suffering, and not self. This is vipassana. So if we want a lot of wisdom, we practice to see everything, all material phenomena, all mental phenomena, as impermanent suffering and not self. So contemplate in this way. Just like I said before, I had an experience of entering into samadhi and a monk asked me all things. The meaning of this was asking, 
or what what are all things and he didn't say that he just said all things and the answer was emptiness or impermanence the quality of instability dukkha the quality of not being able to be sustained and anatta or emptiness so the answer was emptiness and then he asked again in turn emptiness so this means everything is emptiness so then emptiness is what emptiness is in all things which is buddha emptiness is buddha and therefore buddha is in all things it's just like this form is emptiness and seeing that form is emptiness we see form and then we realize that that form is not there in truth it's just empty and therefore emptiness is form they're the same they're equal the same with vedana feeling is empty all feeling is empty all perception is empty all formations are empty all sense consciousness is empty so if we only have contemplation without genuine understanding we hear that form is emptiness we think we understand it then emptiness being form we don't understand why is emptiness form so that means that we're taking emptiness to be self which means we're also seeing form as self so if we see form as emptiness then we see emptiness is form this is the dhamma the way things are so if we see the dhamma we see like this we see that it's all buddha so we recollect the qualities of the noble dhamma this is the dhamma nusati kamatana the meditation object of recollecting the dhamma we recollect that the dhamma has been well expounded by the buddha it's something that one knows for oneself it gives results irrespective of time it invites one to come and see it invites one into one's heart and is to be experienced individually by the wise so we recollect these qualities of the dhamma as our meditation object and when we practice meditation like this we can use any meditation word for our practice of recollecting the dhamma or one can just recollect various qualities of the dhamma to take that to be the object of the mind this is able to bring the mind to samadhi to peace one sees that the buddha is in the dhamma anyone who sees the dhamma sees the buddha on the day of asalaha puja the buddha taught the first dhamma discourse and just like before we give a dhamma talk like today we do the asking for a dhamma discourse that's because the dhamma is something that's very subtle if we don't really set our hearts to listen to it if the then the teaching shouldn't be given if those uh, or if those listening aren't applying their minds then it shouldn't be taught because the dhamma is something very valuable the listener must set their heart to listen to it and while listening one if one sends one's mind out one's mind out and does other activities then the value is only a little bit if one listens intently then the mind is able to go with the stream of the dhamma the mind is able to see the dhamma just like the first dhamma discourse 
that the Buddha gave in the deer park at Varanasi, the group of five ascetics led by Anya Kondanya. They listened to that discourse and Anya Kondanya was able to understand to be the first disciple because he was very intent. He really set his heart to listen to the Buddha because he was an old Brahmin already at that point. He met the Buddha just seven days after the Buddha was born. And at that time, Anya Kondanya was a young Brahmin, perhaps 19, 20, or 22 years old. It doesn't say his age clearly in the suttas, but we see that the Buddha awakened at the age of 35. So for instance, if Anya Kondanya was 22 when he met the Buddha, when he was seven days old, then he would be about 57 years old at the time of the first discourse. So meaning he was old already. So he really set his heart on listening to the Buddha because he had been firm in his intent for a long time already, since a young age, since the time where he studied the texts of the Brahmin tradition. And then he went forth to be an ascetic as well and practiced for a long time, waiting for the Buddha to awaken for that whole 35 year period. And so he really set his heart on listening. In the beginning, he didn't actually want to listen to the Buddha, didn't believe he was awakened. But then the Buddha said to him, when I say to you that I've awakened to the truth, is this something that you've ever heard before? that the Tathagata has awakened to the deathless. This is something the Buddha said that was very sweet and melodious. We listen to this sutta and feel very uplifted and refreshed in the mind. As we see that the Buddha had such incredible loving kindness, such great compassion. He walked all the way from Bodhgaya, the seat of awakening, to the deer park at Varanasi about 230 kilometers, and this took nine days. But the Buddha never gave up. He set his heart on teaching beings to realize awakening. And this is something the Buddha had set his heart on since the beginning of building Parami to become a Buddha. If the Buddha was just going to know for himself, then he would be a Pacheka Buddha, an independent Buddha. But he was a fully self-awakened Buddha, meaning he must teach others to awaken as well. So Anya Kondanya, or Kondanya Brahman, he had mindfulness awaken in him that this was truth because the Brahmins, they set their hearts on satcha, on truthfulness. So he thought, oh, I'll listen to the Buddha first and if the teaching is no good, I'll just leave. But he set his heart to listen first, and he did this with honesty and integrity. And the four other ascetics listened, but they did not realize awakening during that first, first discourse, because they hadn't made the determination to be the first awakened disciple of a Buddha. Whereas Anyakandanya, he had made the determination in the past, and he built Parami to be the first awakened disciple of the Buddha. Therefore, he set his heart on listening well. And the Buddha taught that which is normal, that which is of the nature of the way things are, 
taught that all things, anything that is of the nature to arise, is of the nature to cease. Whatever arises from causes, uh, cease, ceases with the cessation of those causes. So one contemplates and sees that all things have arising and ceasing as their nature. If they arise, they must cease. And this happens by itself. So we understand this point, understand this truth of nature. And Anyakandanya was able to understand this. His mind gathered together, wisdom arose, he could see clearly. And the Buddha declared, Anyasi Watapho Kondanyo, Kondanya knows, Kondanya knows, Kondanya knows. And so he gained the name Anya Kondanya, or Kondanya who knows, because he saw clearly. We see that the Buddha is the teacher of humans and devas, the teacher of all beings. And so the Buddha knows what to teach and how to teach, what the disposition of the listeners are, so that he can teach in order for them to get in tune with and understand the Dhamma teaching. This is an ability of the Buddha that the Buddha had cultivated and developed already. So we see in the Dhamma that all things arise and cease as their nature. We see this point and then we see not-self. We understand not-self, that it's not me or mine, not you or yours. We see that the nature of Dhamma, the nature of all things, is to arise stay for a while and cease. The mind thinks that this body is self and takes it as self and takes other things in life as mine and me as well. Whatever enters into our life, we take as ours, whether it's a visual form or a sound, smell, taste, touch, mind, object, we think it's all self because we don't see arising, staying for a while and ceasing so we need to contemplate on this point, where is the sense of self to be found? Is it in the body? Well, before, did we have this body? Why were we born? So we practice to understand clearly that it's not like that. Before, we didn't have this body, but we come and cling to it, and delusion leads us to be born. Then we're led to old age, sickness and death, and we take all of this to be self. But in truth, there is nothing there. There's no self there to be found. There's no one who dies. I mean, if we see this truth already, then we see that illness is normal, that conditioned formations, having gathered together, they must disperse and degrade, and illness arises. So whether we patiently endure with it or not, it passes away and degrades. There's no, it has no name, no label, there's no self. It's just like a house that we come and use. One day when the house degrades, we must leave it. And so we leave that house and we go according to our kama. And something that arises stays for a while and ceases. So we see this quality of arising, staying for a while and ceasing. So we see the Dhamma, we see it clearly and doubts are dispelled. We see it and know it for ourselves, because the Dhamma is to be known for oneself. 
Whoever knows the Dhamma knows it for themselves. There's no spittoon, there's no glass, there's no cup. This is something miraculous and amazing. There's no glass, it has no size, no color, it's just a convention. We see that color arises because of light, because of illumination from sunlight. Sunlight reaches it and then color arises. But if there's no light, then there's no color. In order to see color, there has to be the object and then the illumination. And that light arises based on a certain type of energy. But in truth, it's not there. We think it's there or it exists because we think it's like that. So we know only according to perception and what we've learned. But in truth, there's nothing there. It's impermanent, stressful, and not self. It's not me or mine, you or yours. We see if it's not mine and not yours, then who is it that gets angry? Who is there to be angry with? Why are we lost or deluded? So we come to accept the truth like this. We can see the Dhamma. It's not difficult to do this. What's difficult is to bring the mind to firm samadhi. It's difficult because the mind lacks firm samadhi. Anyakandanya had very firm samadhi. He practiced the absorptions of jhana, of uh, samapati jhana for a long time already. So he was able to see the Dhamma. It was something he had sought after for a long time already and practiced for a long time already since uh, 35 years before the first discourse. Before he wanted to know the end of suffering, but he couldn't find the way because he had the parami, the spiritual virtues of a disciple. So he had to listen to the teachings from a fully self-awakened Buddha in order to see and understand the truth. But the Buddha spoke that first discourse and he was able to understand, oh, it's like this. His samadhi was firm, well-established, so he only needed to contemplate a little bit to see the Dhamma. His samadhi was full. So therefore it's up to the strength and energy of our samadhi to realize wisdom. It's something we have to build and cultivate in the mind to bring the mind to collectedness and peace. We can recite a meditation word, do our mental cultivation with a mantra meditation word according to what we're proficient in. We can watch the in and out breath with boot on the in breath and do on the out breath. We can contemplate death, contemplate impermanence, stress and not self. We make effort to set our hearts on this practice to train the mind. So today is the second day of our retreat. And may you all uh, prosper and grow in Dhamma. <laughs>